Welcome to Totally Classic. Today, I, Brendan McNamara, and that guy, Andy yeah. Swindler, I'm sorry, I'm just barreling over you. I didn't even allow you to say your own name. I'm well, already canceling you. I've noticed I've often, like, I'll pause. Yeah, you paused, so then I was like, oh, wait, did I, oh, did I miss hand off? And now that we're listening to them, because they're, like, you know, out there, I've been yeah. like, oh, I should tighten that up a little bit. So leap, leap on that. I know. And you were ready. And I was like, I'm not going to wait. Polished, non-canceling version of the intro. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason that we both said cancel uh, is because today's episode, the question of the day is, is cancel culture just accountability? And Andy highlighted an intense, an intensely important double entendre uh, of the word just there that we make it into, or even you at home who, or on a bike ride or walking down the street or driving in your car or laying in your backyard, staring up at a starless sky in an existential crisis. Um, go ahead and let that play out in your mind. Uh, but this is Andy's topic, so Andy, I'm gonna let you take, take the wheel in the beginning and you know I have no problem interjecting. Of course, thank you. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I, this is not super planned. Um, you know, we were, we'd like to ask a question uh, that we may or may not arrive at any kind of conclusion to. Um, <laughs> I know, it's not about answering the question, it's about questioning the question. Yeah. I think that's it, All right? Yeah. Uh, which we're good with. And if you're listening to this, that means you're good with it too. Um, so the, the question about cancel culture is, you know, when, when in life, whether it's an interpersonal relationship or like I'm in a lot of different kind of movement spaces, activist spaces, so they're, they're not formally organized. In fact, often intentionally you know, decentralized. Mm, um, like terrorist groups. Right. Um, and then, and then in more official organizations, like a company or work or something like that, you know, the yeah. question is, when do we, when are we inclined to dismiss each other, um, mm -hmm. which I think can be a form of dehumanization, mm -hmm. uh, and it can also be a form of self-protection. Yeah, sure. And, and this relates to the power dynamics uh, that are involved of who, who has the power to, um, you know, dictate what other people do, maybe especially in a work environment or in a lot of relationships or worse, actually, you know, cause abuse and harm yeah. uh, and other, other kinds of oppression and treachery. And when, uh, when is it that cancel culture, um, actually, I'm gonna move slightly away from that. When is it that ending a relationship with somebody mm. or a connect or any points of connection because this is, there's interpersonal, like we have a loving friendship and then there's, of course, social media uh, complicates this quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because we might not have, I guess what in my judgment I would say are not really deep relationships with a lot of people on social media. And on social media, we're given a button basically to, to cancel people. <laughs> sure. <laughs> this is a lot of my interest and in, like what I'm, what I'm up to in the world outside of this context is attempting to build a new kind of social network that is actually based on restorative principles where we could come together. And, and I think that's one of the things we love about this podcast is that we don't agree on a lot of things and we can come here and talk about them and 
not really necessarily try to convince each other, but hopefully just unpack it more, understand each other more. And in that, perhaps, uh, you know, lead, lead each other one way or the other or not. Um, so when is it uh, that we are inclined to end a relationship, whether it's a dr directly with a human being or by pressing a button on social media, like unfollow or block? Um, and when is that an act of potentially self, uh, self-protection, self-preservation? Uh, what are the ideas that motivate that? What are the feelings that tend to motivate that? Mm. Which relate to, I think, a lot of the things we've been talking about over the last several episodes around you know, human emotions and fear and, and social, um, social constructs. Yeah. Uh, and then when is it actually causing more harm? When is the act of creating more separation, ending a, a relationship with somebody, um, actually working against what, what we are attempting to achieve together? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Yeah, so interesting you reframe it that way, um, which is why I love talking to you because your mind, we think about a lot of the same things and we think very differently about them, which is, I think makes us enormously helpful to one another, or I consider you uh, very helpful to me. Um, and I assume I'm helpful to you because I assume I'm helpful to most people. <laughs> <laughs> arrogance but it's true um but yeah because i recently it's funny so i think you're focusing very much on the cancel element of cancel culture and to me so much my focus is on the culture element because culture being way of life so then cancel way of life meaning you're kind of constantly on the hunt to do exactly what you're drilling down on so i think what you're doing actually makes a lot of sense because you're drilling down on cancel like what does it really mean to cancel or distance or remove yourself and the way you're framing it i actually think is very interesting and would immediately tie into a 45 minute monologue i can go into on the practicalities of um immigration regulation and i know that sounds random perhaps for a second but in many ways putting up boundaries is uh in this in like the way you're talking about it which i think is very uh, intimate and personal and you can start to see why boundaries are helpful why boundaries are harmful uh trump uh former president and host of uh nbc's the apprentice um, he, that one, that Trump, um, very famously was super into building walls. Generally, we didn't flipping like that idea. Now, I wouldn't say we, because obviously a ton of flipping people voted for that dude. But I would say the people who like really didn't like him found that like one of his most egregious things that he just kept talking about building these walls and building these walls. The hilarious thing is to me over the past couple of years is, or three or four years is the people I saw who hated that concept are actually the people who are the most pro boundary setting and constantly share memes about setting boundaries. And I was like, to me, that's wildly contradictory because it's the same thing. I mean, a nation is an organism and you build walls in order to sort of like protect that organism. Now, functionally, I am super pro immigrant, um, largely again, because I'm a Christian. Um, and the Bible is very clear that like to sort of treat the sojourner or the foreigner, um, as, like basically as well as you can, because you yourself were once an, a foreigner and a sojourner. So again, they're human, like you're human, you've been in their circumstances in some place. So treat them as well as you can. I also understand the practicalities of immigration, which are, you, you literally can't let everyone in. The same way that in your own house, I would say it is a great benefit. I've, I've had uh, <laughs> multiple divorced dudes for some reason come stay on our couch when we had a very small home. Um, and I was like, heck yeah, our house is open to people 
for people to come and heal and even broken people to come in and kind of mess stuff up and fart on the couch and make the place smell bad and not do the dishes or whatever. Like that's what our house is for. However, depending on the size of your house, you can only have so many people come in before it becomes a you know diminishing uh, returns thing. So I love the all this to say, I like the way you phrased it because I think it's actually something that bridges the gap between sort of like political or even pseudo-political tribal affiliations of like when when is it okay? And then cancel culture is, I think, takes this inner process and starts putting it out in the world and says, you should think like I think, but we do have to address what is the thinking that then people are trying to then uh, uh, impose on, on others essentially, or impose as like a cultural wave. Um, and I'll just say right off the bat, like, I don't like boundaries. <laughs> In general, like I don't like walls. Uh, we don't have a fence at our house. Uh, we're thinking about doing it to kind of like, because of whatever paranoia is about child safety. But like, I don't like fences. I don't like when people shut their blinds in the front of their house. I live in LA on like a relatively busy pedestrian street. We never shut our blinds. Um, I, I don't. I don't like. It. I don't think it fosters. Uh, I don't believe in the adage that like good fences make good neighbors. But I think it's an adage for a reason. So. And I'm also not innately like you are um, an empath. So then like buzzing or negative energies don't bother me too much. So then I don't feel the the need to necessarily like kind of noise cancel that. You know what I mean? Um, Anyway, all that to say like just a bunch of random thoughts, but also uh, I think approaching this way is savvy. And I wanted to say that in order to like calm any rising thoughts in anyone else that I was like, oh, this is a cool thing that we're all actually into this idea and we all hate it <laughs> in different, who, whoever's doing it, right? Like we hated it when Trump's doing it, but we like when we do it. So, okay, hold on a second. I mean, again, that's, I, I'll bring up Donald Trump, even though I know we should stop talking about it. I hope he's just done as a political person. That's my thesis and it may be very naive. In which case, I think we need to talk about him a lot because I don't want to talk about him when he was running for president or while he was president. Um, but I was like, let's not, and which is probably not the smartest thing, but whatever. Um, but I do want to talk about after because I think he was actually one of the most helpful political figures of revealing all sorts of societal maladies in all of us, like not even just particular groups, but like in all of us, all sorts of interesting hypocrisies and so forth. And I think this this wall concept uh, is absolutely um, one of them. Um, have you been canceled or sort of do you feel like you've canceled people in your life? So funny now that I'm listening to this playback. Yeah, you can hear my I do that smack thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I, don't, I haven't been editing these podcasts for anyone who's listening to them. I'm kind of just letting these ones lay as like because I want them to be not even simulations, but actual real conversations, like as real as possible, like as unmanipulated in in many ways as possible. Uh, but I used to cut another podcast, and that was hilarious for particular people. How often I would have to go in and like pull out those little clicks in the in the timeline, you know, pull pull it off the pull it off the audio timeline, be like, there it is, there it is. Uh, and my mouth's a little dry, so who knows what's happening with my NPR mouth? We'll, we'll see how this episode goes. So, so that's it, right? So now I I now that I encountered a reality about myself. I, I, there's a part of me that doesn't like it. Right? Like, oh, yeah. Cancel me. <clears throat> yeah. Canceled up. Maybe, maybe that's the depth we'll get to is the, the, a lot of it, I believe comes from facing something in others that we don't really want to face in ourselves. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to that question. I love that question. I wanted uh, a couple pieces you, you pointed out though. Yes. One is the, you referred to, you know, cultures as an organism. 
and one of my teachers who uh, somatic teachers who really goes deep in the science and the biology of, of various living systems as a way to to kind of think about and reinvent how we are together and how we build yeah. cultures and movements um yeah pointed out at one point <laughs> that cells have a, a membrane mm. and then they're permeable yeah like decision there's a discernment there about what is let yeah. in what yeah what is let in and what is not let in. And um, one of my favorite quotes is from uh, Prentice Hemphill, who said mm -hmm. that boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and me simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And I, I just carry that one with me. Um, I even put it in a shameless plug, the new book that I just wrote before to you, Empath You. Because this, uh, I think, as you were as you were getting at a bit about me, you know, being an empath, being kind of extra sensitive to energy, um, sets me up uh, for having very porous boundaries. Oh sure, yeah, you're a, you're a permeable. You're not even a semi-permeable, but you're a permeable membrane. Yeah, and and I. I'm still on my journey to figure out how to how to manage that. I have energetic yeah. boundaries. I've learned some techniques, which gets real deep into mystic mysticism and sort of Jedi land of like you know energy work and things mm -hmm. we can. Um, and some of it's a little more just practical, like get good sleep and be you know anything that would just probably huge. a healthy human body. Yeah. sleep and water. <laughs> yeah, sleep, water, vitamin D. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I wanted to also frame some of this with a couple of quotes from the very wise and brilliant Adrian Marie Brown, who has really written a lot about this in the last few years. Oh, cool. Um, I think tracing back to maybe the first uh, essay about this in 2018, and then writing another one that was more COVID related, and then eventually a book that was released uh, in 2020, We Will Not Cancel Us. Uh, and, and Adrian's been deeply immersed in, in movement spaces uh, for, I think, at least 25 years. Um, so I wanted to offer a couple of, of pieces here that stuck out to me. And this is actually from an interview uh, she did. So this isn't directly from any of the written material. Mm. Um, but if that, if cancel culture becomes the move we're using for everything, I think it loses its power. Something that is actually a misunderstanding or a conflict or something else gets raised to the level of, quote, this is extreme harm and it deserves this kind of response. Yeah. I think this keeps us away from the generative conflicts or the conversations where we could be in principle and really learning from each other. Mm -hmm. And she goes on to say, I don't think we're going to build the numbers of people who are committed to abolition and transformative justice if the movement people uh, I'm sorry, if the moment people enter movement space, they're immediately scared that they're going to that that they're going to say or do the wrong thing and then get disposed of. Mm. I do believe that trying to navigate a lot of these things on social media is part of the problem. A lot of social media spaces are communities where we are expected to act without being in actual relationship with each other. When I hear about someone causing harm, I think, what if that was me? If I had caused harm and it was my worst day or my worst behavior, how would I want to be held? Mm. So 
as, as much as I think cancel culture as a, as a default can be quite destructive, I also want to hold that it's easy to weaponize the argument against it and, and just say, oh, we, we should have essentially like in the language you introduced, oh, like we should never have boundaries. Like I should just be able to like spill into everything and everybody's life everywhere, which, yeah. which, which does take us back to the power piece. Like who has, who has more power to sort of assert over others or show up in ways um, and be accommodated and all that. Yeah. So that is that that can set me up for the answer to your question, but I also do want to pause to see if you wanted to respond to any of that. Yeah. It is interesting introducing the fear-based element, which I think is it predominates the response to cancel culture, which I see very much being born out of. It's, it feels like the same argument's been happening for, I don't know, since before George Carlin died, where it's the same argument about political correctness, uh, which Carlin called uh, fascism masquerading as manners. Mm. And so this would be uh, aggression uh, masquerading as protection or self-preservation. And I think that's, she's drilling down on a very important element here, which relates to cancel culture at large and canceling, cancel or boundary making. Um, and I love that you're connected to boundary making because that's that's something I know way more about than even cancel culture. Um, on the level of harm, which is, this is where you and I, I think could be, honestly, we could be like a superhero duo. We would be so helpful. We could. This could be a TV show, actually. Let me pitch the show. So Andy and Brendan uh, travel from place to place where people have run into these issues where they feel like they're going to have to set up boundaries. Now, the reason they feel they have to set up boundaries, jumping off of this quote, is um, they believe someone is harming them or some interaction is harming them. Now, Andy will be able to, as an empath, feel whether they actually feel harmed or not, validating their claim of feeling harmed or threatened, validating their fear claim, which is an extremely difficult thing to do. I don't even know the equipment that would be necessary other than having like a magic man like Andy uh, to figure out whether that's true. The second thing you have to do, um, just like in a court of law, you have to prove damages, right? You'd be like, oh, this hurt me and I have trauma and I, can't, I couldn't do A, B, and C, so you need to pay me this amount of money. Then you have to like, well, you have to prove damages if they're not immediately witnessable. And in terms of the permeable membrane of self we're talking about, it has to be demonstrable harm. So you can't just, and that's, but this is the crux of the thing. This is where we define the definition within the definition. So I think she brought up a great point. So if someone feels harmed, I think that's a great moment to pause and figure out, oh, okay, am I harming you? It may be the case that I'm harming you. It may be the case that I'm not. Uh, your feeling, again, your feeling can be valid in terms of like, it's a real feeling that you're feeling. Andy, the empath could figure that out. I'm more of a rationalist in which be a case I'll be like, okay, so your feeling's real. We've checked the first box. We still have to go check the second box. Has harm occurred? Just because you feel that there's harm doesn't mean there's harm. You know, just that you think there's harm doesn't mean there, there is harm. And this is the weird world we get into in our um, legal system as well where I know there's this whole thing with like self-defense and I've had this come up because uh, my mother has had many interactions with the police. Um, and they've, they often ask, um, did you feel like the sort of aggression from someone else um, and she wants to press charges or whatever, they will say, did you feel like your life was threatened? 
And I was like, I think that's insane, first of all. Because what if you're a confident person, you're not really that worried about your life, in which case you're like, I know I'm spending eternity, then why would I even really think that way? So that, that actually demands that you think a very, in a very particular ideological bent. And then B, all you have to say is, oh, I felt like my life was threatened. And then, so that's why I shot that person in the face. Um, so that's, in, overall, that's, I don't understand how that became a standard, but I think that speaks to something we're all wrestling in society, which is like, how do you demonstrate invisible harm? Because it, I mean, my goodness gracious, that's, I mean, really, it sounds like an impossible task. I mean, I think as a, as a scientist minded person, I'd be like, well, it has to be visible somewhere, right? I mean, even if it's in a brain scan, pheromonally somewhere, if it's, if it's completely invalidatable, then we're in for me, we're in a very scary place because then it's constant trust. So then it's like, well, you're harming me. And then it becomes, and then this is the problem. Then it funnels it into, and it makes it a power game because it's, someone has to win that, right? You're harming me. No, I'm not. I feel like you're harming me. I feel like I'm not harming you. I can't see any evidence of it. Yeah, but I feel it. Okay, but show me. I can't show you. Then literally, what, like, what do you do? You flip a coin? You, you know what I mean? Ultimately, that's what makes it the power game because then the, the person to then, the, and this is unfair sometimes, or I'm often the person who has been accused of like, I, they, someone needs to put a boundary up against me. Um, whoever makes the first break in the continuum, so if you're in Congress with someone, let's say in conversation, the first person to say, if someone says, stop, don't talk about this anymore, I'm putting a boundary up, ultimately, Functionally speaking, that person is the aggressor, even if they're telling you to stop because they, you were in a continual Congress, they've made a, they've turned it into a power game because they felt like it was a power game or whatever. But until then there was no power element other than your individual powers. You know what I'm saying? So then to then say, stop, you're actually turning this into a power game, which sometimes can be well deserved. Let's say in a sexual situation, we're both into it feeling it's feeling good. I think we're both on the same page. I'm grabbing parts of you. You're grabbing parts of me. But then if someone says stop, they absolutely have changed. They have made it a power game all of a sudden. And they're saying, hey, I'm asserting my power right now. I'm turning this into a power thing that wasn't a power thing. Now, how is your power going to respond to my power? And if it was sexual, I would say, go ahead and, for example, stop. But if it's conversational or whatever, then, then it gets into a a very strange world. You know what I mean? Is there such a thing as con like conversational rape? I don't know. Hmm. I <clears throat> equally love how different our minds work, how differently our minds work. Because uh, I, I believe I believe there's always power. Like anytime two people are interacting, there are power dynamics. Um, and I know we, we were thinking about maybe doing a whole episode about power. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, I look at that probably a, a bit differently uh, in the context that there, there are, there is power in a conversation. There's power, certain, I, I believe, in sexuality, um, power dynamics, power imbalances, and all sorts of. And but, but, but it's not a what I, what kind of, what I, where I get stuck on a lot of things is where it's just this one binary. People kind of pick one dimension, and it's like it, it might be like, oh, men always have power over women, and then like. Well, I don't, that's not my experience. <laughs> There's lots of women who have had all sorts of power, you know, over me. Um, and and I don't just mean in the sexual context. Uh, and I want that to be true, right? I don't want to live in a world where we where we imagine that one one group of people always holds all the power and there's complexity because of we I, I think we can look at a lot of um, 
measures of, uh, about wealth and and you know if power is in a physics standpoint like the the ability to move something and in yeah. a more in a relation standpoint me you could translate translate that to say the the power to you know at, at a minimum influence somebody but, but potentially coerce somebody you know when we don't even maybe know what power we're bringing into the room especially um and you know as, as a white man so the um yeah it's so funny i feel like i have in a, in a male female dynamic i would say in general i have less power almost exclusively like for example a woman's no is I think beyond subjectively is objectively more powerful than a man's no. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I feel that way too. And, and we're of, as we've said, like very similar generations. And there's a lot of, <laughs> we demographically kind of check a lot of boxes and yet there's so many things about our lives and our brains that are different. Um, and, you know, but I think we also, whether or not we, you know, all agree with the word patriarchy, which I, I don't mind using because I think all you have to do is look at every president we've ever had. And say, well, okay, yeah, you know, like let's take let's take out the charge and just say, well, look, come on, every leader of this country has been a, a man, most of them white. Yeah, um, yeah. well, most, human. I think the human race dominantly across the world in every culture, dominantly, just percentage wise, is patriarchal and kind of always has been for for. A, until honestly, like the industrial, like like technological revolutions have altered that. But other than that, throughout pretty much all of human history, uh, yeah, it's it is a patriarchy. So there's nothing wrong with saying that, you know. And and there, okay, so we'll put that in the agree column. There's gonna be yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we totally do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, I'm, and I'm pro patriarchy though, so that would we'd probably just we can put those in the both. Yeah, yeah, I'm pro patriarchy that exists, uh, not and then not in yeah, the, the what, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what, so what, we just, yeah, we agree it's real and it's and it predominates all human history. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that that's leading me back to something you were saying about um it's fascinating because I wouldn't approach it the way you you would say I, I want to be a superhero duo with you. Yes, yet, oh for sure. Yeah, I would and I appreciate your confidence in my my empathic abilities. And uh to me, there's a couple things there. One is like I, I appreciate that you brought up the invisible harm. Because I, I do think that's a lot of what we're trying to figure out right now. Huge. And, and in the context of power and patriarchy, we almost always are really talking about physicality. Like, oh, the average man may be larger and more have more upper body strength than the average woman, for instance. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, but when we start to look at this invisible harm, and that's usually an emotional reaction. Like, and and it there's there's I think a spectrum there where it could sort of, of of maybe at large sort of feeling bad and on one end it's really just like oh gosh that 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 stung a little bit <laughs> that's like a that's, a that's like a bee sting and on the other end of that is like re-traumatizing people like like if if yeah. somebody had a very acute trauma uh, in their lives or potentially even getting into intergenerational trauma like oh wow, that's going to take their nervous system a very long time to recover from. Like maybe they've been, they need to like leave work for the rest of the day and that's gonna affect yeah, yeah. to yeah. do life and move through the, through the world yeah, and all of that. So uh, so my approach in, in 
if we if we were to go to people, this is why I'm so loved leaning into the restorative and transformational justice communities, because that to me, well, I think what you're you're saying is true. Like if we just had to look at the evidence of harm, of, of invisible harm, it's like what I don't know. Maybe science will have a way to measure that someday. We are there is some fascinating stuff emerging just around measuring, you know, the cellular nature of intergenerational trauma and all this. Um, but I, in a restorative or transformational justice context it would be it would be a dialogue it would be a circle and where we would not care about validating or invalidating what whether or not somebody you know experienced harm in in the classic sense of evidence but to simply allow space for people to reveal their experiences and again not in that binary way the you know the 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 one of the one of the binaries i think that's often quite limiting is a perpetrator victim binary and in in a lot of, in a truly like transformational context that we need to look at what's underneath why somebody perpetrated that particular harm and why somebody felt it. Because uh, yeah. it might be the kind of thing where, oh, I said this thing to 10 people, one of them got wildly triggered. Um, so that might be evidence that it's, it's not like a general horrible thing to do or say, but that for some reason that exact interaction triggered something in this one person, I would say, I would argue that still caused harm in them. Um, well, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. See, I, I, I was like, I don't, I'm stuck in the world of, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, just because like, that's, I mean, it's almost like someone testifying on their own behalf, in which case you're like, let's eh, wait as, as something. I mean, it's something, it's not nothing, but it's not, it's nothing like proof or it's nothing like truth at all. In which case, our interaction with it has to be so, it has to be like the way you're talking about it, it has to be removed from the binary altogether. So that means you can't, and this is, this is very difficult because to comfort someone in their harm, their, I wouldn't even say their harm, let me back that up. To comfort someone in their feelings of harm, their perception of harm is my, certainly my instinct. I love hugging on people. I absolutely head towards trauma love it, down for it. I'm a run into the fire kind of a person. Um, but even in that, I know I have a broken instinct to some degree because to comfort harm that does not exist can be affirm, affirming to, to their misperception because it validates the feeling. And I know I deal with this literally every day too now as a, um, uh, as a parent. Right. So then when my children are in a harm space, I have to very carefully navigate or, or perceived harm space. I have to navigate my desire to comfort them, which I often do. But I, and then I try to, this is just how I do it. I don't know if this works in your spaces or relates to it. Um, like I will then go and comfort, like hold, get down to the level two, sometimes physical contact, if that's what's like kind of agreed upon as you kind of feel each other out. But that's usually what happens. Let's say take someone on my, on my lap and then kind of like, okay, let's breathe through the feeling. And then we have to figure out whether it was ultimately was fair or not. The way you responded when your sister said that, is that fair or not? I know it's a real feeling, but sometimes, and I don't use this word with my kids, but ultimately I find a kid version of saying, your feeling is bullshit. It's not real. And if, especially in people, and this is even more so when people are reacting out of previous trauma. If you're flipping out, cause I did this thing, cause it reminded you of some other thing, you're mad at them or you're mad at yourself. And that's all, listen, it's always intermingled. You're mad at yourself 
uh, for be like, oh no, I'm in this space again. How did I invite you into my life? The person who would do this thing that I've already have to cope with and I thought I've escaped. In which case you're, re- you're literally not responding to me at all. Like I, it, is, it, is, it is almost pure happenstance that I'm here. And this is, this is just expanding out for a second. That can be the danger of that applied to cancel culture because then it says, I've defined internally what harm is and maybe collectively if I'm a whole group of people who agree with me and affirm my, my internal unprovable self and then we are all gonna go and make sure you don't do that to anyone else when possibly that person did nothing to anyone. And that's where I'm like, that is a date. Like that's a, you do have to stay completely out of the binary, which is like, you don't validate someone's feeling, but I, that's so difficult, dude. I don't, and you're in spaces, maybe you figured this out. It's so hard not to validate someone's feeling in wanting to comfort. Cause again, that's my instinct. It's, it's, it's very hard. There's all so, of it very hard and very messy. And I would never, yeah. it's otherwise, and it doesn't always go well. <laughs> yes. Not everybody yeah. wants to participate in it, nor should we make them because it can yeah. cost, it's a risk. To enter to enter even into like a restorative process, right? Because sure, lost emotional energy. It can, especially if it's not facilitated well, it could actually just it could make things worse. Yeah, it can damage. Yeah, uh, you know what? I love. I don't have you know kids, but I love you bringing that up because I, I am aware that um, you know kids often sort of um, and maybe adults too, like will will kind of absorb. They'll they'll sort of uh, mimic how how. The way you the way you react, right? So so yes. if a kid falls down and it's super overprotective parent, they're like, "Oh my god, honey, are you okay?" They're like, no, <laughs> what, what? <laughs> yes. like, they're just like, "You're fine, get up." And they're like, uh, uh. <laughs> "Oh, okay, yeah, you're probably right." <laughs> <laughs> so one yeah. of the things that I've learned is that it takes, on average, unless it's like a deep retriggering of a trauma, it takes on average about ninety seconds for an emotion to fully process. In the moment. Oh, interesting. And so that's one of the reasons I'm such a huge advocate for pausing. Yeah. Um, and there's a framework, and it, it can seem kind of silly, which maybe is a good thing because it just makes it a little more lightweight. Um, oh, silly is so helpful. It's the ouch oops framework. Have you ever talked about that? No. Are you familiar with it? Um, no. But it's, it's just in any setting, uh, and it's uh, often shows up in, in more, um, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, anti racism spaces, things like that. Where we, where we imagine that there could be conflict and triggering happening. Um, sure. And, and not assuming that it's always gonna go one way uh, necessarily. Yeah. Like, like this group who we, we argue has more societal power is always gonna trigger the group that doesn't. Um, because the, I think, you know, in, in learning about this stuff is, is hard for anybody. Um, and that's not yeah. to equivocate, it's just, it, it kind of can honor anybody's journey. So it basically works like, um, Oh, that's done. You know, ah, I'm on the hopefully on the bee sting end of the spectrum. And, and yeah. if you're allergic to bees, we'll leave that out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I'm, I watched the season two of Bridgerton. I get it. But um and, it, and then everything just pauses for a moment. Mm-hmm. And it's that person's decision whether or not they want to unpack the ouch or not. Mm-hmm. Um because that you know there there can be a, a certain um i don't know loss of dignity uh, you know if somebody has to explain all of their emotions especially maybe if it's in a group where they don't know know people very well or whatever so it can oh I, wow oh wow okay no sorry yeah. that was just that was like a moment go ahead 
Yeah, well, I want to go back to that. Hopefully I'm explaining this well. Um, I think it is ideal, perhaps, that it's it can be generative if they do explain it. Um, mm. But well, I, I, I left another piece out. So it, it, it's important, I think, to grab these things in real time, again, because of the emotional mm. processing. Because I think what happens is if we don't have the time to process those emotions, then then they can become trauma. Then they kind of get lodged. They're like, it was like this thing that wanted to get out or wanted to process and it's just it got stunted right it got um yeah all that so if you do it in real time then you know that they were reacting to something somebody that was just said like yes. so, so you would say something and i was like oh and i and i would just say ouch and then you knew you know it was your piece so you, you would just immediately say oops so at least there's that acknowledgement. You know, it's not like yeah. I don't know, prostrating ourselves. We're <laughs> just like, oh my God, I've I've you know committed you know some horrible act or sin. I don't even know yet. And it can and it it can potentially address. I think what you were saying about this this may not have anything to do with me, you really. Um, and and that, yeah. that actually happened to me the other day, which I can <laughs> weave back to the story you asked thirty minutes ago or the question, and. Um, but I don't want to go there because you just had a, a like I just like saw the actual light bulb like <laughs> it'll be yeah it's a short one but yes but no going um, no I, I just light bulbed uh, that I was like maybe it's hard for them to share it's a group they don't know or something like that and I was like oh yeah I often forget <laughs> I often forget those people exist um, uh, people who have difficulty being vulnerable that there are people who have difficulty being full on vulnerable with anybody at any time. Mm. I don't live in that headspace. I don't understand it. I don't live in that headspace and I don't understand how it's helpful. Um, I get hurt a lot because of it, but I was like, but I, this is again, cause I'm a rationalist. Just like you were saying, like maybe it's better for people to process. This is what is so important to me. Which one's better? Like. And maybe that's an individual, but we do have to have a default of like, what's better? Like, ouch, oops. We've decided ouch, oops is better than whoa, or no one saying anything. So there's already been an evaluative binary where you've been click, click, click. We're doing this one. You've picked. Likewise, uh, to me, being open and vulnerable is better. Straight up, objectively, it is the better path to be vulnerable and I'm, and I'm not that worried about sociopaths or psychopaths because their percentages are so small that you're like, in general, the default position, the number one position, not even competitive is to be vulnerable. But I forget there are a bunch of people who don't, have not arrived at that adjudication. I think they're wrong and I'm happy to have an argument with those people, but um, I just often forget. So that's why I light bulb. I was like, oh yeah, some people like, don't want to talk about their feelings or whatever. Like I just started doing therapy two months ago. And it, to me, it's the closest hopefully I'll ever get. And the closest uh, thing I've ever got to prostitution. I was like, this is the flipping best. You get to just like talk about all the ways in which you're a flipping failure and all the ways in which you like are messed up and feeling this week, you know, talk about times that you cried suddenly and felt super weak and then try to process those thoughts. I mean, this is I could do this all day. I mean, this is, I, I, I don't even know how to, I mean, it's like, it's, it's as good as sex. It's flipping fantastic. I love this. Like, why would you not want to do that? You know what I mean? Unless I had a stomachache or something, you know what I mean? But like in general, you're like, and maybe that's very masculine to me that like, you know, what man turns sex down? Um, likewise, what man turns 
vulnerable, like getting to be emotionally vulnerable down. But I was like, oh, wait, no, as you said that, I was like, no, you're speaking from experience. There are people like that who don't like to be emotionally vulnerable. It blows my mind that they exist, but I do know they do. I do have to objectively, just as being vulnerable is objectively better than not being vulnerable. It is objective truth that there are people who do not like being vulnerable. <laughs> uh, I, thank you for that. I, I, my God, my, my the last three years of my life with, with my startup have been all about <laughs> addressing that need. Like the, the yeah. places where people can be more vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think you're bringing up a couple of things for me. You know, one is just at the end, at the, at the end of the day, the value of getting away from just a strict binary where it's like, I don't know, let's just say perpetrator victim is that we, I think it opens up more space for, for compassion and care. So it's like even the ouch oops framework, even saying, oops, that's just an act of care. And, and it's not sort of some overladen, like, like coddling, um, tending, like I think you were saying, which I, I agree can be too much or not welcome or all sorts of things. But at least it addresses like, oh, wow, you know, because I care about you, um, clear, clearly this thing I said stung you or triggered you, you know, and I, it, it, I don't necessarily need to um, uh, feel like I'm, I'm the worst person in the world for that. Right. Uh, or, or even involved or, or maybe, in a, well, you are involved though. Like, like, and that's my point, I guess, is that you, as an act of care, you might say, I mean, it could be, it, you know, let's compare it to bumping into somebody. Yes. Oh, I think that's a perfect thing. Yeah. 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 Where, where it's like, am I going to take responsibility for the fact that I was in space with you? Yes. And, and that I bumped into you and it, and it knocked over your, your, lunch tray and you and wow gosh you know so and then and then who knows maybe maybe a, an act of like restoration could be like i you know maybe help you get more lunch or pick it up or whatever yeah like, yeah 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 well oh i'm sorry yeah i don't mean not involved at all but you could be only involved post ouch your oops could be if a person's like hey you bumped into me we can check the tape look i didn't actually bump into you you bumped into yourself in which case my oops is oh you spilled your tray so then i'm involved but in terms of the ouch the ouch might have nothing to do with you. So I think bumping into is a perfect example. This is the same thing with people's emotional hurt or, or not wanting to talk about a thing anymore or whatever. Like their, their, their decision to be hurt might have literally nothing to do with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, just like being bumped into. And you can check a tape to see if someone bumped. And you can't, this is the whole hard thing of someone saying that they have an ouch. We don't have a tape to check. So it makes it, this is why cancel culture, I think, is a, is a bad, I'm just going to say largely, isn't about accountability because I don't think, but you're doing it in these spaces. But I think generally people aren't willing to do the work and discuss, A, what is harm? Is your negative emotion or the thing, the feeling that you don't like harm? Who's to say? You know what I mean? I don't like the way that God tells me a bunch of my instincts uh, I'm not supposed to do. I don't like it. It hurts me on a daily basis. It benefits me uh, temporally and eternally. So my adjudication of what things I like or make me feel pain or make me feel ouch or make me unhappy, th those are literal, those are non, ultimately non-relevant categories in assessing whether harm has been done to me. Because benefit is done to me through things I literally don't like. Same thing with exercise. I don't like flipping working out. 
I've, I've gained much benefit from it for, for my, but I don't enjoy the process. I don't like doing it. Um, most of the time when I'm like literally in the process of doing it, I know people will be like, once I start working out, it's great. No, no, I don't understand. I do it going for a walk in the sun. No, I don't like it. I don't like it when I'm doing it. Um, I don't want to go do it, um, but I do it. And then I, I gain benefit from it. You know what I mean? I'm saying like, just like we all have these, these categories. And so this is the dangerous thing about cancel culture is because so often that until you have definable harm, like a Harvey Weinstein, in which case you're like, oh, all right. Well, no, he literally, there's like enough eyewitness testimonies of him literally causing harm. So then we can all feel very safe in it. And the problem is, is like once we've weaponized a mob to deal with actual danger, then that mob gets kind of excited because talk about power. Then it becomes a power game because you're like, oh, look, because he had power and used power and we are going to use our power to outpower his power. We're going to fight fire with fire. But if it's invisible harm or things of like, oh, this might affect, the Kevin Hart thing is a good example. If he hosts the Oscars, then that's going to harm people who feel like people are allowed to say things like he said that made people feel harm, which isn't harm. It's just emotional hurt that they, we still have to figure out whether it's real or not. And then, so we can't have him do that or else that might make more people feel bad. Because then it just becomes, I don't like the way I'm feeling. And that's not, you're not, I'm not the ultimate adjudicator of what is good and bad for me. And so that becomes so difficult too. So like, what is harm? Oh my God. I mean, this talk about, talk about zooming in too much, but no, but like it really is, it's so important. And I love that you're, you're in spaces that are intentionally examining this because you have to figure it out. Is, is harm just because you say it is, or is, and this is the whole problem of living in a country with it is about the pursuit of happiness. Then basically anything that we all grow up with this and even if it's conscious or subconscious, uh, we have this systemic uh, emotionalism to our lives, which says, happiness equals good. And if something makes you unhappy, then it's bad. Or if someone says something that makes you unhappy, then ultimately they've violated you as a citizen, as a, as a, they've violated your unalienable rights. You know what I mean? Which is like, oh my gosh, oh no. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I'm like, man, that's flipping true. Oof. Yeah, better, better are the wounds of a friend than like than the kisses of an enemy. You're like, it's flipping true. But it's hard to navigate. Again, you I think the intentionality you're pursuing makes a ton of sense because this is this is why the making it a way of life is like we have to be so flipping careful about this sort of thing down to the teeniest level. Inter and I love that you're pursuing interpersonally because that's the that's the cellular. You know what I mean? That's the cellular level. Yeah. And, anyway, and, you, you may well, disagree with some of the things I've said, but I just you know that's where you're you're you sent my brain. <laughs> oh yeah. General disclaimer: If I don't, you know, uh, retort. Every every single thing Brendan says, it it, it, it does not mean uh, that I can consent or that. Yeah, I can... silence does not equal consent when you make yeah. seventeen points in one little <laughs> rambling soliloquy. <laughs> um, one thing, one of the ways I'm exploring this is in in a legal setting. Uh, I'm mm. to live in one of three neighborhoods in Chicago that has a restorative justice community court. Oh, it was. The first one opened up um, maybe four or five years ago, and then two more opened up um, in late 2020, I believe. And I've been doing it for a little more than a year, and it's extraordinary. And it was based on a model out of New York, the Red Hook, and it's it's extraordinary. So it's it's led me to realize at a really deep level, like how much of our justice system is punitive or retributive. Yes, pretty much all of it. <laughs> so. <laughs> 
you know, we 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 have a justice, a quote unquote justice system that in many ways is a is a kind of cancel culture, right? And and we just take that for granted. And statistically, uh, people in, in this show we're using the term melanated, um, melanated folks uh, tend to suffer more in that system statistically by being um, you know trapped in it or or more likely to to be in it. So the what I'm involved in is we just sit in what we call peace circles and it might be four or five circles and it's really extraordinary because we spend the first three circles um, or so just getting to know each other. Mm -hmm. And, and it's something, it is so radically different than any courtroom setting. Um, and there is a, there is a court of this, but even that's different. Yeah. Like I've gone to a couple of those after the peace circles and just see how the judge, she knows everybody and she's just, it's casual. And she's like, Hey, how's your, how's your leg healing? And you know, all, this, all the things um, that, that are about real connection and compassion. Yeah. And it feels like this, unfortunately, totally radical, like fringe experiment. I, I hope we get to the point where it's the norm. Um, and it was, it was before we got too big as a society. You know what I mean? This is how tribes would work. This is how around, you know, this is how communities around the world worked. <laughs> you would know people, you know? Yeah. And, and, and yeah, you're right. Like sit in, sit in council and sit in circle and, yep, and, yep. and, and find and get to the depth of what, what was underneath this perpetration, this, this act, this thing, especially if it, you know, maybe in that, in that context harmed a community or harmed multiple people. Um, so that's really a beautiful place to explore this. Um, unfortunately, I've, I've also experienced the opposite of that in places mm -hmm. I wouldn't expect to find it, um, in, including activist spaces and, yeah. that I'm involved in. Where, and, and worse still, and I think we're both very sensitive to when people put a label on something and then don't live by it. Like, <laughs> yes. I, I've, been, I've been in spaces where, where I have been the one with the spotlight and they've been labeled as restorative processes and they're anything but, I mean, the, the format yes. oh, more, sure. resembled, more resembled a tribunal where a lot, of, <laughs> yeah. a lot of people with a lot of social power squirrel away and kind of gather a bunch of evidence and then come and deliver that. And yeah. Really no other process. Um, I was even, even in one where I was demanded to apologize. Yeah. You know, and I don't, I don't see how a forced apology under duress is any part of any restorative or transformative process well it, it i think it is so funny just uh, uh, i want to because you're telling your story i want you to tell your whole story i think apology is actually at the root of and lack of apology and fear of apology is actually at the root of our in many ways our legal systems or these structural remedies in that in our culture we are like and i know this is like a kind of a wink wink joke joke but it's a very real thing we're a wildly litigious culture in the united states of america especially which makes it so uh, apologizing is beyond vulnerable in terms of just admitting fault, but it's vulnerable in terms of like the financial future implications of how someone could then weaponize your apology as an admittance of guilt, as an, and then in which case then literally it can, it, can, it can ruin your life when really an apology should, is the thing that could forego all of these, all of this trauma, you know what I mean? In a, in a lot of ways, whereas, because then if you can seek remedy before it gets to that point, but again, because of that 
janky system, which is maybe just jank. I, maybe it's pretty, it's relatively good as a, like our legal system is like fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? In terms of like world legal systems, but like, it's just too many people. But then because of that litigious nature and the nature, this rapacious nature for us to kind of consume one another, um, that if you could just apologize ahead of time, then the tribunal wouldn't need to happen. Once the tribunal stuff comes in, then it's almost like, you've missed that opportunity. So then trying to force that, which should have already happened with a, with an outside process. I mean, I can only imagine what that felt like, but please take us back to that moment. Well, it was, uh, I believe I was traumatized by the nature of the process yeah. and I, I was beyond triggered. I mean, I, I, my entire nervous system was activated. I don't know I don't know what babble came out of my mouth in that moment. I, I, it, was, it was all the words. It was all the words and it was all the wrong words. Yes. I, I kind of I later heard through the grapevine that like, you know, like I didn't perform well. And I'm like, is that what I was there to do was to perform? Yeah. Yes, Andy. Yes. I'm an actor and I'm telling you that sounds ideal to me, but I know the feeling you're talking about, but I was like, that doesn't sound ideal to you. Who's again, if you're empathic, that's exhausting. My somewhat lack of regard for the audience is enormously helpful for me as a stage performer. We're like, I'm here to be true and tell the truth and interact with my people up here. And if you dig it, that's absolutely what I want. But if you don't dig it, well, too, too bad. So yes, it absolutely, I mean, I think we're constantly performing. And I think the thing is when you organize spaces, it gets even more performative. But being forced to be a flipping actor, that is a, you literally lived most people's nightmares. <laughs> You know what I mean? Oh. I was I was on stage at Broadway and then the curtains opened and I I didn't know why I was there, but everyone looked at me. I mean, that's you were experiencing that. It's Kafka-esque. Yeah, and you would have you would have been like, oh, sweet. <laughs> I would have been like, I'm this is my time to do my monologue. Yeah. And and I think I like what you said about the setup, right? Because there there were opportunities. Yes. Um you know, in my experience, there were there were truths that were shifted based on social power. Uh, there were there were people squirreling away and sort of collecting evidence. And you know, these are. And then there wasn't a truly like there wasn't a circle to yes. to address it. And the the beauty of a circle is you you hear like you 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 hopefully uh, kind of normalize the space and temper some of the emotions and the energy and all of that. And you hear from everybody about what happened. Yeah, uh, and that you know none of that existed. So you know that in that case, and it, what's interesting in the context of cancel culture is um, the that wasn't actually canceling. Hmm. Um, you know, technically, I wasn't being like kicked out of the community. I mean, it, it felt like that. I mean, going and this is yeah. fascinating. Putting myself on the in the spotlight here to your point yeah. about were my feelings valid. I bet a bunch of people in that room would have had more of your attitude. Like, no, no, you caused harm. Your feelings are not valid. Yeah, or your feelings are justified. You should, again, there's nothing wrong with making someone feel bad on purpose, it dep depending why, you know what I mean? If I, 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 and I didn't, you know, it certainly yeah. wasn't on purpose. It was yeah. way more in the category of, of, wow, there's lots of things happening here. Yeah. I injected myself in a, in a dialogue, uh, wrong place, wrong time. And, and it, it triggered somebody. Yeah. You know? No, wait, what's, uh, what, what, this is my question often without boundaries. And I'm literally dealing with this in my closest friend group. Um, did the boundaries that you violated, which you then were sort of held accountable for, 
if, if this is just accountability. If this is a cancel-esque scenario where the boundaries that you violated previously set and agreed upon. You're saying when you, you entered into a dialogue. So, were you, so that's- were you, were you violating a previously impermeable boundary? Is no, my question. Not at all. In fact, okay. what, I, what I had done was raised one of our community agreements. Yeah. Maybe the way I said it, the time I said it, the context, there was, like I said, there was a lot going on. I'm not gonna sure. unpack all that. Yeah, yeah. But all I did was actually raise one of our formally stated, we have a set, like a four page set of agreements that are actually pretty oh, wow. well written. Yeah, yeah. I was raising one of those as yeah. something we, we ought to continue doing. Yeah. And for, for all sorts of reasons, I'll probably never fully understand sure. that elicited an extraordinary, in my opinion, retributive response. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, what is yeah. that, you know, so to me, that's the equivalent of like bumping into somebody um, like we were or, in, that, in that. Yeah, or not. Again, if you didn't violate a, a boundary, because bumping into someone is literally your body hitting their body, demonstrable. If you didn't, for example, it was not a previous state of boundary or it wasn't a boundary, then you still have to establish, did I bump into you? You know what I mean? And it's you don't- I actually didn't address anybody directly. Yeah, so then if you didn't, then for example- then so, For a previously established community value. Yeah, I, I've been saying it this way because I've been dealing with a, maybe in some ways similar circumstance in my closest friend group um, is, I want, I want to, again, recognize people's feelings as valid, as in you are, I'm gonna go ahead and just believe, I'm gonna have to, right? Cause I don't, I'm not an empath, so I don't know. I don't have the, the, the stuff. So I'm just gonna like assume that you're telling the truth until you have a pattern of lying about your emotions. Um, then I'm going to assume that that your feeling is valid, but I can't assume that the motive, like your thinking out of your feeling is valid or that your, why you're feeling that feeling is valid or that, like and anything other than yes. Like, let's say you're feeling fear. Okay, I agree. Yes, you're feeling fear. I'm fearful. Okay, yes, you're fearful. Cool, 90 seconds, we play that out. Uh, why are you fearful? Well, right before you came to the door, I heard your dog barking and I'm super afraid of dogs. And, and I was very worried that the dog was gonna like jump all over me and attack me. Okay, cool. Now, in my circumstance, I'm dealing with, this is a metaphor, uh, I was practicing barking. It's something I was doing. I was pretending to be a dog with my children. So there's no dog here. So your feeling is valid, but your the motivation for your feeling is non-existent. It's imaginary. In which case, I was mad at you because you pulled the door open. So and I was like, the dog might just leap out at me. There's no dog here. So, so it's not it's not real. But there's and I'm not saying you're evil or stupid or it doesn't invalidate you as a person. Um, a, I just have to think my dog impression is fantastic. But B, uh, like we do that all the time, right? I mean, I've swerved, I've absolutely swerved and almost smashed into cars because I thought that car, they put their blinker on or what, you know what I mean? They kind of just moved in their lane. I was like, oh, they're changing lanes. Oh no, it's not their fault. It's not their fault for drifting in the lane. They stayed in their flipping lane. They were just moving around like that. They, that they're actually in the realm of the allowable. And it would be irrational of me in 
and just straight up wrong, literally wrong for me to say, well, they caused my accident. No, they didn't. My reaction to their allowable action caused the accident. And so that's what I've seen with these boundary things. And as far as I know, I'm willing to even be wrong. If they're like, no, look behind you, a dog from your neighbor's, you know, your neighbor's yard ran into your house and was barking, in which case I go, oh, okay. Well, I thought it was my sound. It was that dog. You're right. There was a dog in here. You're right to be afraid if you're afraid of dogs because dogs always attack you or, or whatever. Uh, I'm in a situation now where, because I'm a rationalist, I literally, and this is all done virtually, which I think is so helpful. I think social media is a great place to uh, have these conversations. I think uh, like when you're doing things all in a virtual realm and they're all capturable, I love it because you can go back and check the tape. So I've gone in the conversation where I was sort of canceled by a group of my friends and the same thing where it was just like, this is the tribunal. We have gathered evidence. We're presenting this evidence and we're not going to respond to your responses. You have to go do a th thing. <clears throat> I went and did the thing. I came back <clears throat> and I looked through all of our communication before they said that you're a bully and you're just, you're, you're basically, you're violating our boundaries. There were no boundaries stated in any text message. I went through dozens and dozens, emails and text messages. There were no boundaries. So I was like, okay, at some point, I recognize you feel this way, but I think we leapt out of the realm of nonfiction into fiction. And if I'm wrong, please show me. Like if I've missed, if I missed a message or whatever, but it's all recorded. So we can go through all the documents each, like, and then address the feelings and be like, okay, your feelings were Again, I, maybe I didn't, I didn't have oops language. I could have oopsed it when they felt that way. I didn't because I was like, but it's not real. That's like somebody going, oh, you bumped into me. And I was like, I didn't. I was three feet away from you. What, like literally, what are you talking about, lady? You know what I mean? Um, and yeah. so I could have I responded more. But, but this is the thing where I do think objective reality, and it's hard. I don't know how to do it either. How to like opera, operably put rationality in companionship. The head and the heart have to stay together. We can't head off into this world of just heart. And I mean heart, not in the classic sense, but in the like modern, like feely sense and mm -hmm. head in the sort of rational sense. I know the, those aren't exact you know, principle words, but I don't know, that, that's, that's the, I, I relate very much to that circumstance, but that's, again, that's where I go is I would, I, but I would, I would to the point where I just pick the top one and I go with the gold medalist. So I am more binary in the way I pursue things. Cause I was just like, who has time? Um, and I would just default to, well, let's, let, we have to rationally demonstrate this first before we talk about anybody's feelings, you know? Whereas there does need to be some, I think I would be better served in finding some sort of way of interplay. Well, that, that, a couple of things. So my sister-in-law just wrote a book called Life and Death Design, which is, mm -hmm. I love your graphic example. It, that's a, that might be in the book, like that, that idea oh, really? <laughs> of, of the reaction being the actual thing that, that yeah. caused and, and yes. why we reacted well, we have all this primitive biology, right? <laughs> yes, threat, threat, threat. Yeah. So, uh, oh, I think I lost the other thread. Well, I wanted to take it back to one thing. Maybe I'll come back. Um, so earlier this week, I um, was triggered, and this was actually in a professional context. Mm. And I'm not going to tell the whole story, but what was fascinating and one thing I don't um, do as much therapy, but I'm in two different men's groups and I have access to lots of healing spaces awesome. like that, which I think serves kind of in the same territory. And my reaction was that I knew I was triggered 
you know, and I don't think I retaliated anyway. I haven't received any information like that. She didn't, yeah. you know, so I think I did an okay job in the moment being like, oh gosh, I'm triggered, but I'm going to kind of navigate the rest yeah. of this. Here's where I am. Land the plane. Shake. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, I'm here. I'm the here. Landing gear's out, but we got it. Um, yeah. Now maybe we had landing gear, but maybe one of the um, trim tabs was messed up. Anyway. <laughs> exactly. So get your metaphor straight. Um, uh, I happened to have my one of my men's groups that night. I was so grateful because that's a place I yes. can bring that kind of work. That's exactly what we do is we do yeah. some deep somatic work. And I... I probably did an hour of like somatic processing around that before that healing work. I mean, yeah, I, I, I wanted to cancel her. I mean, there was a part of me <laughs> sure. that, so, so I'm not immune to any of this. I don't, but I don't think it's healthy. So this is a good example generally <clears throat> um, of, of why I'm such a proponent for, for healing and more having more access to healing spaces, whatever they may look like. Because once I, I, I really don't think she did anything. I mean, it, you know, in that, yeah. in that, oops, you know, I would have said, ouch, I don't, in the moment, I, I, I just wanted to like blast her with fire. I mean, I, I was just sure. like, oh my God, you are the enemy. You have hurt me. Like yeah, every yeah. retaliatory, you know, kind of emotion came alive um and even lingered you know and, the, and that's like we get entrenched because then the stories circulate right and that's that's how we're wired yeah. and that happened for me but then after that process where I, where I went back to some the thing that was actually being triggered which was literally like this thing I often go back to um probably when I was around like 10 years old it was like ah oh, okay just just unpack you know peeled off another layer of that yeah. soothed it you know and and it really worked. I mean, now when I think about that interaction, it's neutralized. I'm like, oh, it's even kind of like, I can almost laugh about it. You know, like, isn't that funny how I reacted? Cause it's like, yeah. just, you didn't really do anything. But if I hadn't done that healing, it'd be stuck in there like enemy, target enemy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, to answer the question, cause I think we're close to time. To answer that question then, uh, is cancel culture just accountability? I think when cancel culture is just or justified accountability, then it can be helpful. But I think in general, cancel culture is not at all anything we should be holding on to or trying to justify. Because I think what we need actually is an accountability culture, <laughs> right? Because heading straight to can cancel can't be the thing we lead with or even the thing we're aiming towards. Like we have to kind of get to canceling. And I think it's it's an it's a process, you know? Now, some people, again, just like, I don't have the time, but like even having that as a hair trigger assumption, as you just realized, like it's not healthy. It doesn't come from a healthy place, but actually we need a we need an integrative culture. You know what I mean? So even if you have an instinct to cancel, again, you have to, to me, you have to validate, you have to validate your cause. You have to validate your reasons for canceling. And then really you have to seek out like actual, I think for me, you have to seek out apology and forgiveness first and foremost, like way, way before you get to ever even try to get to canceling. Because canceling, I think, is what you're talking about. It heads all the way to the legal system, you know, and punitive. It, it really heads at that point. You're already in, you, you ran straight into punitive. Whereas I think even in the process, we can use some of the, I think, the, the tools of the trade, of the legal trade, because there's some helpful things that are just 
deeply human or rational or perceptive. Um, but really, there's so much to be dug into, you know, in both the instinct to cancel and then even in the person we're trying to cancel, as in like, what's going on with you, you know, with your behavior? This is really the, the sort of restorative, rehabilitative intention that I feel like we're all, we all should be heading towards. And that's kind of the problem with cancel culture, I guess, which is like, it's heading into the like, it's basically just another version of tough on crime. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, and you're, and yeah. these are skills. I mean, we're in our forties. I've just been starting to learn these skills in the last few years. Yeah. I think in any serious way, uh, and, and and I think under under that there is a vulnerability, and even even not I think you you kind of connected this to the more like the legal power um, when we or or the the risk of admitting fault in a legal setting right like in the, yeah yeah we feel that way even without the legal setting we often yes. feel that way um, I know I do because it's like oh well if I admit I'm going to lose power here which is really the opposite of what I like to believe, which is that the more vulnerable we are, the more connected we are in a relationship, yeah. the more power we will have together, the more power, because I'd like to believe true power comes from that vulnerability and authenticity and not the, yeah, like the aggressive kind of power over people. Um, and, I, and, it, and it, you know, this, this um, situation that I described, you know, is, is unfortunate and it validates something Adrian Marie Brown was saying because I had told some folks this story or some version of it who were thinking about volunteering. Mm. And they're like, and one of them admits, you know, he's got like this absolute fear of being canceled. And mm. he, he may he may never join because sure. because of because I have painted this, you know, one picture of, of an unfortunate thing that happened to me. Um, or or that I was involved with. I don't I do I do want to steer away from pure victim language like oh this happened yeah 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 i was involved with it there's complexity there um and one of the things i realized though through that and and continue to realize that i've I've healed a lot of it i've I've forgiven i hope people have forgiven me to whatever extent they needed to and one of the things i realized though because i wanted to run sure I, i don't I, I didn't, even though that had some cancel-y kind of qualities to it, I don't, I truly believe them that they weren't actually trying to cancel me or kick me out of the community. Yeah. Just a very clumsy, clumsy process. Um, and I wanted to cancel them. That was the interesting <laughs> thing. I, yeah. I wanted to be like, smell you later. I'm out of here. I'm out. Yeah. Never, never go back. But I, I deeply believe in that particular thing we're building. Yeah. It would be really not only counterproductive but i don't know like against what i'm standing for <laughs> to just bail because <laughs> then that would be me canceling them and and the amazing thing is the bet the most healing i got was from showing up again time and time again huge and oh my god is that hard especially in the beginning like yeah oh my god <laughs> like i couldn't even just all the feelings that brought on and, and, you know, whatever was going on with me and just, just, Oh, like kind of looking over my shoulder and who's, who's talking about this and all yeah. the social stuff, which I, I just feel like is, is a huge part of the, the challenge. Um, and so I want to like close those couple loops and then uh, uh, to even provide a more direct answer to your question, uh, which I'm, I'm clearly avoiding for a reason. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was essentially, canceled twice uh one one with a very good friend during covid and then one with a you know somebody I, we were reasonably good friends 
Um, and and uh, yeah, and, and I want, to some extent they both haunt me. You know, I mean, I my nature, you know, if you get into this kind of stuff, Enneagram 9, Peacemaker, like really pretty amiable kind of guy, I'm told, mm -hmm. and you know, along with lots of folks. And so it, it breaks my heart when I'm, when I'm canceled. And I don't, again, I don't sure. entirely blame folks for that. And I want to understand my part in that and, you know, attempt to restore. Um, but one of them, uh, it happened about two years ago. And then last year we, we sort of got back in touch. And then I realized I had to set a boundary. Mm. You know, I think they were expressing a desire to, to potentially resolve this. And then, but I just saw all these old patterns coming out and I, I, but I would say the second time around, it was a, it was a cleaner boundary to your point about your friends. And this is one yeah. of the skills we so often lack is yeah. the ability to communicate and set clear boundaries and, and adjust them. We don't think that's something I learned yep. in Huddle Party, like one of the 14 tenants, we, we have the right to change our mind. We just need to communicate that and then not, <laughs> and then not yeah. hold people, um, hold it against people <laughs> if we've changed our mind and we didn't communicate that and then they do something you're like what but you know yeah yeah but, yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, i've not mastered that um one of the reasons i'm still single ladies if you, <laughs> heard, if you like here today no uh, <laughs> so that so that it, it still haunts me in a way because there's a piece sure. of always wants things to be reconciled and then part of the grief yeah. is realizing we don't always get that and no. and in this case I I'm I I think I decided I didn't even want to go through the the emotional risk of, of that could that was would probably be necessary to to lead to potential reconciliation. Um, so the last thing I'll mention is there have been a I don't know maybe two or three times that have been canceled after a breakup, hmm. uh, and that usually the the. The big one to me is the Facebook block. It's it's <laughs> the closest thing we have uh, to until we get to the Black Mirror. Um, yes, where you can actually actually blur, like, blur a whole person out. <laughs> yeah, like like because we've, we've hacked to the optic nerve. Um, and yeah, I I don't know. I don't know if I can explain that. I mean, but but again, like I may be uh, over collecting in my life, like. Like wanting, some people think it's absolutely bizarre that I want to stay connected to ex-girlfriends and whatnot. Um, oh, sure, sure. And, or, or even just Facebook friends or something. And I'm like, I don't know. We shared a lot of history. I just like the idea of staying connected and it doesn't have to be shitty, but you know, but I think some people are more, um, this is probably an over, overladen judgment, but just like the, more of the scorched earth uh, variety of, of sure. ending relationships. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I don't know if it's accurate, but I often just kind of say, well, that must be what they needed to do to protect themselves or to forget about this or to move on. Yeah. Or at least what they thought they needed. I mean, I don't think we need to validate their choice as though it was accurate, but it, at the very least they thought, you know, I don't want to, I, cause I can't hang, I can't let the hang the presumption that everyone's doing their best. You know, that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> But no, it's a very, it's, it's interesting to hear, especially from that perspective. Um, I am a, I'm more of a completionist than a peacemaker, maybe. Like I'm a, I don't, I don't like doing puzzles, like making actual puzzles, but I think of existence and interaction with other human beings is constantly puzzles. And so I, all, at the very least, if we're going to complete the puzzle, 
like we're gonna we're gonna set this puzzle aside of this relationship or whatever. I want to at least finish making the puzzle. <clears throat> so we have to, like for me, clear like. I'd be happy, I guess, to not be friends with someone or whatever on, on a social media program, if that's what we decided or whatever. But um, I'd want to kind of like have as much resolution as possible. So I definitely like, I can't, and again, I'm in a peacemaking process with a, I guess what amounts to very similar to a, a potential cancellation, uh, essentially a, a, almost like a, a stated cancellation of a friendship, a conditional one. I've met the conditions. They're still not responding to me. So I guess I've been canceled. I don't know. But my whole impetus is to, well, let's, if nothing else, let's get this clean. Let's clear this up. So then we can set this aside as like a, a thing. It's a done thing. Like we completed, it's like a work. Like we completed this piece of art that was our relationship. And then I can move on. But like for me, and maybe that's something too. I wonder if there's something even there as to like why you hold on to those things. Is you're like, I don't know. I feel like the story's not completely written or it's not completely written on our relationship. Like maybe this is just the, these are the romantic chapters of our book. You know what I mean? And I, and so I do have somewhat of a peacemaker, uh, um, but I'm like a deep, I think cause I'm a deep peacemaker. Uh, there's this, um, again, this Bible verse, I think it's in Isaiah where it says uh, you it's sort of condemning people, uh, God's condemning people through this prophet Isaiah saying, um, you heal the wound of the people shallowly saying peace, peace when there is no peace. And so I was like, oh, shallow, being like, oh, okay, we've figured it out. We've settled it up. You know what I mean? People who just kind of like peace, uh, peacekeepers instead of peacemakers. You know what I mean? You're just kind of like, oh, let's keep it peaceful. Let's keep it. Okay. Let's just, well, let's just settle that. Let's move on. That's good. There might be conflict there. So let's stay away. Whereas I'm like, a, I want to jump in, mess it all around until like we've finished the peace. You know what I mean? It has to be a whole uh, intense thing. Um, so I don't know, but in both, in some ways we actually have some like divergent, but actually similar instincts on that whole thing. So it's really interesting to listen to you process it. Yeah, you too. Like, I, and if I kind of cut that, right. Yeah, I don't, I no longer, I think I, I might've for a long time thought peace was just sort of not being in conflict. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I yeah, yeah, yeah. That because I think no. a lot of times, no, we're, we're, we're not actually, we're not actually connecting. You know, we, we were just sort of settling for like, staying in our corners and, and yeah. not bumping into each other, but there might be all kinds of things that we're not addressing and yeah. all likelihood is there's not, we're missing an opportunity, you know, to go deeper. Uh, and I know we need to wrap up, but I think a whole other dimension of cancel culture we can tease out maybe for another day is, um, you know, that I remain curious about, you know, and maybe sometimes is, is useful, sometimes not, is more, way more public. Like, there was yes. one I saw recently where it was like, you know, some extraordinarily probably well-paid or overpaid um, executive, white male executive to the tune of millions of dollars in salary uh, posted something that was blatantly racist uh, and people were really happy to cancel him. And, you know, my instinct is generally like, well, you know, was that, was there another way? Was there, you know, this and that? And sure. You know, and I'm also holding that, well, in some cases, we, we do, we are in a shift right now where mm -hmm. leaders have been able to get a, away with a lot of, of, of things that um, callousness, lack of care, blatant harm, that, that I'm all for shifting that. And, yeah. and I, I, I'm curious if sometimes we do need a public not need, but maybe is it beneficial to have yeah, a yeah. public 
um, sharp action uh, of dismissing somebody over one one thing because it amounts to like what any of us would do in one moment, like one Instagram post. But then yeah. of course, therein lies the power of social media because like, well, if I post something, I don't have that many followers, you know. Yeah, yeah. If he posts something, it, it's representing a completely different universe of, of sort of power. Um, well, or, and not even necessarily power, but social, because so his, his social media post has no more power than yours does simply mm -hmm. by followers. It just has the capacity to invisibly harm or not harm or cause false harm in many more people. You know what I mean? So then if you, if you can hurt 400 people or whatever, how many people follow you and he can hurt 1 million people at a time, uh, that's not really, that's, that's not his power. His individual tweet has no more power than yours does because that's all he's doing is typing a thing. It's all the people who clicked flipping follow they're the ones who have the power. Followers are the people who have the power. That's, I think, the fascinating thing we have to recognize, which also ties into the grand version. If you're following someone on social media, you had the power to follow them and unfollow them. They didn't force you. They had no power to grab you and put you in line with their speech. So you canceling someone, you literally came there with your power, and now you're trying to wield your power against this person. You know what I mean? Their follower count doesn't grant them any power over you as a harmed individual which is a fast, that's when it gets fascinating. This is why when things zoom out from the more conscious, uh, individual, small circle things, things get really dangerous, which is why I'm like, let's not do that. I think public shaming though, uh, the opposite tack on that, uh, he doesn't have the power, they have the power in the first place and, and completely, or they all have the same amount of power he does, uh, at least in the social media interaction, which is the only place that that was happening. There, there's no more or less. So then, unless they think that people following him somehow gives him power, but that's illusory. That's saying celebrities have more power. And it's like, mm, until they can actually manipulate or to do anything with it, not really. Not like, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and, you know, not at a certain level, once you have literal, actual, like, power to impose things on people or whatever. It can, be a, it can be a slightly different thing, but in a social media interaction, you don't have it. However, I believe in public shaming. I think public shaming is perfectly helpful. I think shaming people when they've done wrong things. If someone keeps grabbing some girl's breast at a party over and over again, and then eventually you're like, hey, cut it out, hey, cut it out. There's nothing wrong. In fact, it's the right thing to do for you to say it flipping loud. Stop doing that. What you're doing is gross. You're being gross. We can all see you being gross. That, that's it. Now, I, I think you have to accelerate to public shaming. You start with private shaming. But eventually, and this is how cultures have worked in a tribal sense throughout history. There are many shame and honor cultures uh, that have developed and prospered because of it. You have to honor those who do things well and and beneficial to the community. And you shame those who harm the community. So then in some ways... Again, the, the, the systems, you know, the, the, or the systemic inclination is not in and of itself wrong. But I do think we have, we have wildly inappropriate uh, assumptions about where we, where we are functioning in that system, you know? Well, and that, I think, as I read some of the arguments against this particular guy, um, yeah. that seemed to be more in line with, like, let's make an example out of this guy. Like, yeah. like it was, it, the arguments seemed to be, in some ways, even less about it. Was, it was kind of taken for granted that, like, oh, nobody should nobody should post that kind of thing. Which I, we can also tease out the whole Twitter Elon Musk free speech thing, which we'll, we'll do another time. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but it was 
you know, and I, I happen to agree with that. So I'm like, yeah, yeah that's some bullshit to post. Uh, but it seemed to be much more about like we, people in that kind of position need to be held to a higher standard because he does influence, I can't remember how big the company was, but let's assume it's like thousands yeah. of employees. Like he yeah, yeah. influence and in many cases, direct power over thousands of employees. And there's, but there's also this correlation being made, right? With like, oh, he, he posted this thing on wherever it was, um, Twitter, Instagram, ergo, he must show up that way in all of his power structures and his- yes. Yeah, like that has any relevance to any of his employees. All of his employees, by the way, he has no actual power over because they're not in prison. So, you know what I'm saying? But this is all the things we, when we confuse what power actually exists and doesn't, he has no power over any of his employees. They can quit immediately, unfollow, power gone, quit, power gone. So there's no real, I mean, now people in government do have actual impositional power. I just got a thing on my door the other day from Raleigh that they're, they would start fining and continuing to find me if I didn't cut my grass. Um, so that has some, they do have some power that I literally can't quite escape from. But, but not, the, like, not the dog barking. Not the dog barking, not the, yeah, not me making my dog sounds. But I mean, this is the, this is the, the fascinating thing of like, let's get them. I mean, again, this is, this is, this is beyond judgment, interestingly enough, into execution, right? This is judge, jury, execution. The, the, we've already decided what the sentence needs to be and he needs to be held accountable for this. That's the amazing thing. Because of course, like I, I'm, I'm a follower of the Bible, which says, judge not, let you also be judged. It also says, judge you therefore with righteous judgment. So this means we're all going to judge. We should judge. This is how we evaluate all circumstances. And sometimes we're even going to be part of the jury, depending on if we're a relationship with the person we're judging. Then, however, the judge not thing, let's at least apply that as, as much as we can to the executioner, judge, jury, executioner, the executioner element. You starting to meet out what you think the punishment for someone, someone else's crime is in and of yourself. I mean, whoa, y'all. And that's the crazy thing. They're basically talking about he needs to be sort of publicly crucified. He needs to be made an example of. We need to kill him. I was just talking about the, the, the shame aspects of crucifixion this morning. But like, you, we, he needs to be publicly put in the stocks. Like he needs to be publicly shamed. So anyone who sees him knows what happens when you do that. I mean, that is, you are pulling, talk about power. In, because you feel threatened by whatever his follower count or whatever influence you think he may or may not have, you then are then saying, I'm, you think you have power? No, I have the power. I have the power to sentence you to this punishment, to loss of your company, to loss of your job, to loss of your whatever. And that part, oh my goodness, we should all, in the very least, we should all be treading that so, so lightly. Well, that was a lot of the nuance was um, <laughs> tiptoe, tiptoe. Uh, how he was let go. Cause he was let go for this. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, the way he was, it was done. I think he got to like keep millions of dollars worth of bonuses. Sure. And so there was that level of nuance too. Like, like, yeah. Oh, he, even, even the powers that be at his company, even if purely for PR reasons agreed to cancel him, but like some canceling comes with a parachute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well because you're like well we can't see you for that so you're done now but you've also haven't done that for the other 10 years work for a company so we can't take away all of that stuff and they're like no we have decided that was our sentence you know Whew. 
there, but by the grace of God, go I into that judge, jury, executioner seat. It's scary stuff, but I'm glad. Hey, Andy, I officially, uh, I have a, at the very least, a semi-permeable membrane that, uh, for you. So you're, you're welcome to violate many of my boundaries and we'll figure out down the road via ouch, oops, um, if and when you cross any and we'll figure it out together because I love you and this is better than canceling. I, I love you too. And I, I'll take you up on that because I, I think I need to practice that actually, uh, yeah. meeting those boundaries more and, and sometimes stepping over them. Yeah, that's how you figure out. That's how you know where boundaries are. How do you know where a wall really is? You have to run into it. Or like Labyrinth, you just ask a worm. Ask a worm. Oh, uh, uh, you went the wrong way. If you'd gone the other way, you would have gone straight to the goblin's castle. All right, I love you. Bye. Bye.